This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. On today's episode of Power of the Towel for the Nux Misconduct Network, the Vancouver Canucks are down 3-1 to the Vegas Golden Knights in the COVID Cup, Fugazi Cup playoffs. And this could be the last episode in a while that there is fresh Canucks games to dissect and break down. We get into all of that. We, of course, address the historic statement made by the NHL players. And our guest this week is Farhan Lalji of TSN. Should be a good one. You'll be saying, wow, every time you use this towel. He's not a person at all. He's a towel. You're a towel. But in Vancouver, mainly it's all about towel power. Are you ready? Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Power of the Towel for the Next Misconduct Network. I'm your host, Nick Bondi. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at Power of the Towel at Nick Bonney. That is my personal account. And before you listen any further, subscribe to the Next Misconduct Network. There's plenty of shows to get excited about. Not only this show, you'll get this show as soon as it drops every week. You get Silky and Filthy, Puck Talk and Bullshit, Trevor Beggs, Kyle Bowen. Sip It on a 40, hosted by Kyle Bowen and... I'm on it every episode. We have your post-game coverage after every Vancouver Canucks playoff game. And, of course, the Quickie, the fastest hockey show in the universe. Monday through Thursdays, Trevor Beggs breaks down one specific topic surrounding hockey in about a five- to seven-minute format. That is a great way to start your day. That's how I start my morning. Get a cup of joe, listen to the Quickie. It will never, ever disappoint. Now, of course, the Vancouver Canucks are down 3-1 to the Vegas Golden Knights after last night's defeat. We are recording this on a Monday, as we usually do, with Power of the Towel. And it was, it was disappointing. It was heartbreaking. It was something that, I got to admit, I was feeling pretty good about myself and about this team heading into the third period down. Sorry, they were up 3-2. Of course, they lost that game 5-3. It, it felt like that was the last stand from the Canucks this season. It felt like they gave it everything they could. It felt like they knew they had to win that game to have any chance at winning the series because, hey, now they got to win three straight against the Vegas Golden Knights. I don't think that's happening. I said it on the post-game show, sipping on a 40 after last night's game. 
after Sunday night's game. This series is over, folks. I don't think they can win three straight. Not only is Vegas look so much better than the Canucks, well, maybe I'm exaggerating, maybe not so much better, but they are clearly the deeper, faster team. It's the bubble environment. Teams, when they're down 3-1 in the bubble, don't come back. Don't have that same fighting spirit they seem to have under normal times, and I don't blame the psychology behind it. You're thinking, hey, I just got one more game. I can get the hell out of this bubble. I can go see my family. I can go do normal things, whatever is normal, with COVID-19 lurking around. So coming back from a 3-1 deficit is not going to be easy. And it wasn't going to be easy under normal circumstances, but in the bubble against Vegas, doubly so maybe. But the Vancouver Canucks have always shown throughout these playoffs, play-ins. And this is something that's impressed me a lot. The way they bounce back, the way they don't give up. And they didn't last night. Look, they didn't give up for that first two periods. They played well. But of course, hockey is a three-period game, not a two-period game. And all kind of fell apart in that third period. Of course, Nate Schmidt got that goal. Marsham would want to have that goal back, no doubt, no doubt. Max Pacioretty with a lucky bounce. In the fifth goal, I had no idea what Tyler Myers was doing. He was rushed back way too quickly. I think it's safe to say at this point. Played 22 minutes. And I get he's a competitor. He wants to get back in the lineup. But at the same time, the Vancouver Canucks, they look bad on the ice with him. I know I got in a fight with Trevor Beggs last night. I called him dog shit. That was maybe he of the moment. I'm ready to re- retract that statement. He was not dog shit, but he was not good. He definitely wasn't good, and he was rushed back too quickly. And I, I would don't, this is not a post-mortem. This is not a post-mortem podcast. We will have plenty of time over the next months. Who knows? This is an unprecedented offseason that the Canucks seem to be on the precipice of. There's rumors out there that the Canucks are going to be in an all-Canadian division. Remember, the U.S. border is still closed. And it may not be open for quite a while. So you don't know what next season is going to look like. The cap's going to be flat. There's a lot of questions, but this is not a post-mortem podcast. We will have plenty of time to break down the Canucks moves going forward because there are some interesting moves to be made, some interesting decisions, some tough decisions to be made. But friend of the show, Harmon Dial, tweeted this out during game four. It's a good point. Sometimes during this series, it feels like it's Elias Patterson versus Las Vegas. Because Elias Patterson is that one forward for the Vancouver Canucks that you know can make something happen five on five in this series. Look, Borhavet's been pretty good. Brock Besser's been bumped down in the third line. I think something's wrong with JT Miller. I know what you're going to say. He had three assists last night. Had a good game offensively, but defensively, in those board battles, he doesn't look the same. Quinn Hughes has maybe been figured out by the Vegas Duel Knights. Ryan Reeves got him good. He got him good, and that's a hit Quinn Hughes can usually avoid. But we all know the formula for this team. We all know the formula for the Vancouver Canucks, and it sort of worked in Game 4. It worked for the first two periods. It's Jacob Markstrom, make a bunch of great saves, and the power play, get some goals. And again, for the first two periods, it worked out. The Canucks had those two power plays near the end of the second period. If they make it 4-2, then it 
They have a good chance to win this game. Of course, people are going to point to the Jake for 10 and miss. They could extend their lead and base goes down and scores. Look, yeah, that's a that was a big moment. But the two power plays late in the second period were a big moment too. They just can't seem to match that Las Vegas forecheck. It's relentless. It's coordinated. It's something I don't see from any other team left in these Stanley Cup COVID playoffs. And maybe I don't watch that much hockey outside of the Canucks from these playoffs. But I watch enough hockey in my lifetime to know that that's a very unique and challenging forecheck to get around. No doubt. And again, maybe they win game five. Maybe they win game six. But to win three games in a row with game six and seven going to be a back-to-back is tough. Now, game six and seven being back-to-back is going to be a lot tougher for the Vancouver Canucks and Vegas because, of course, Vegas has Marc-Andre Fleury, Robin Lehner. They can rotate between the two, and they have no problem doing that. The Vancouver Canucks, Badger Demko's not playing the rest of the playoffs no matter how far they go. Travis Green knows his money, his season is with Jacob Markstrom between the pipes. And he's going to ride Jacob Markstrom until he's dust. Until he can't put on those, those pads anymore. Let's be real. Let's be honest. Again, I don't want this to be a post-mortem podcast. There will be plenty of time to do post-mortem podcast in the future. But needless to say, I don't think they can win three straight against Vegas. And I do not think the Vancouver Canucks can make this a series. I just don't. I can maybe they win game five and Vegas wins it four to two, but the series is over. But again, this is not a postmortem podcast. We'll have plenty of time for that in the future. Now I mentioned it. Off the top, our guest this week on Power of the Towel, very excited to have this man on, is none other than Farhan Lalji of TSN. Just a minute, don't hang up. Yellow, you'll have to speak up, I'm wearing a towel. So we now welcome on Power of the Towel. You know this man from his years of working at TSN. It's Farhan Lalji. Farhan, how are you doing today? I'm good, Nick. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on, and you're in the bubble right now. You're in the bubble in Edmonton. What What's bubble life like? Well, truly, I'm not in the bubble. Oh, okay. Um, most of the broadcasters aren't in the bubble. I'm in uh, a you're hotel. You're adjacent about, to the bubble. I'm close to the bubble. Yeah, I, I'm about. I'm in a hotel about six blocks away, and then we do all of our live hits uh, just right outside the arena. There's the Ice District, and then we're right across from there. So uh, most of the journalists that are here are not actually in the bubble we are in the arena when the games are being played we're in the upper deck which technically is uh, you know a different zone so uh, you know we're far enough away from the athletes to not have to be in the bubble so I am happy to not have to live bubble life but I'm also happy to be able to be here covering the games okay so what's it been like covering these playoffs from kind of a different angle different perspective in the sense that you can't really get close to the players you've got to be at a distance most of the time 
Well, it's different, right? And, you know, the, the difference began in, in March when the pandemic hit and the team started making some slight modifications for a couple of games in terms of access. Uh, and then it just became full-blown restricted access once this began. So, um, look, I think the NHL has done a lot of really good things in terms of keeping the athletes safe and zero tests and everything like that. Uh, I think they've become a little excessive when it comes to media um, in terms of the restrictions there. And, uh, you know, I hope eventually it's able to circle back so this doesn't become the new normal for the rest of us. But in terms of being able to watch games in an empty arena, I don't find it that awkward because I've been to so many practices over the course of my career. And that's basically watching pro hockey players play with no fans. Right. So I haven't found that as um, new or different of an experience. I mean, usually we're up fairly high in the press box anyway. Uh, It's more the case of um, truthfully, the weirdest thing for me is the audio. I feel like I'm in a video game because the, the piped in audio that you hear on the broadcast is actually in the building. You know, when I first heard it, I thought, Oh, that's just in on the, on the broadcast. It's not actually inside the arena, but it actually is in the arena that when you hear a hit or a goal or a chance or a save, there is a crowd eruption. It's the same stuff you'd hear on, on NHL 20. And so that part of it is a little bit awkward, but beyond that, it's, you know, I, I'd certainly prefer fans to be there as I'm sure the fans would, as I'm sure the players would, but uh, you know, at least I get to cover a live event. So it's been fun that way. Was there a moment where you, thought to yourself, wow, this is different, like you're a welcome to NHL in COVID moment, that maybe it's something totally different that you would never experience during a regular NHL season or playoff game that now is kind of the new normal? Yeah, it's the Zoom calls, and quite frankly, they suck. Like, it's just, (laughs) you know, it's not fun because you can't really get in depth with an athlete. You know, you get one call, then they move on to the next caller. So there's no ability to follow up. Sometimes the best opportunities you get are when you're on the side, right? Like when you can just have a side conversation with an athlete with no cameras rolling or anything like that, and you can get the most information. This is a real antiseptic, sterile environment. And um, I think it's hard for the journalists, but I think the fans get a lot less out of it because the, the athletes just aren't going to be willing to open up in that current format. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate. And like I said, I mean, it's probably the, the one thing that you hope doesn't become the new normal and that eventually we are able to go back to get into locker rooms and to have similar access to what we've become accustomed to over the years because the other sports are allowing more access than the NHL is allowing. So hopefully we can get back there at some point. I know you said Zoom. So I hope the Zoom's call doesn't suck for you. I hope it's... Just- no, this is- this is fine. Just, you know, I appreciate just it's, it's a little different than what we're used to in terms of being able to try to get to know athletes really well and to service the listeners and to service the viewers. Right. It's uh, it's important. I, I, you know, I think that people watch, people read, people buy digital subscriptions for a reason. I think they want to get to know their athletes on a different level. And, uh, you know, you and I are in a one on one setting. I, I would be OK with being able to talk to an athlete on Zoom in a one on one setting. But, you know, this whole thing where there's 30 people on a Zoom call and you put your hand up and one person gets in and then you get to the next person. It's difficult. And I think I think the fan suffers as a result. Absolutely. And I do want to get into more of this hockey talk, but one of the reasons I wanted to have you on this week is you, I think you've done some excellent reporting on the Jacob Blake uh, incident all throughout uh, Sports Lens and how hockey has reacted to it specifically. So I want to get into, first off, are you surprised that hockey players took a stand like this? I mean, you've been around the NHL covering the Canucks for quite a while. Are you surprised that the hockey players took a stand like this? Because initially on Wednesday... NBA obviously had their the player strike. That's what I like to call it. It's a player movement. Uh, NHL continued to play. Are you surprised 
NHL players decide to take a stand like this? I am. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure the NHL ever quite got it until now. And I'm pleasantly surprised because when everything happened in the beginning and you had, you know, Matt Dumba do his speech uh, before the first puck got dropped here in Edmonton and you saw signage in the building about we skate for black lives. And then Matt Dumba is the only guy on the knee or, you mm-hmm. know, Ryan Reeves had a couple of people around him. I think there was a moment where it was Reeves, Leonard, uh, uh, two of the stars, I think it was Sagan and Dickinson, and that was it. And then you'd see Ryan Reeves, or sorry, you'd see Matt Dumba in the Canucks series against the Wild with his fist raised up, one guy had his hand on the sh- on Dumba's shoulder, and that was it. Like, nobody else had their fist raised on either team. And you just think this entire thing has gotten completely past hockey players, you know, 95-plus percent of whom are white. And, and I think in the beginning, when the NFL – or sorry, when the NBA decided to stage its – protest and sit out the first game um you know i asked nhl players the next day and i think people were surprised to ask the question and uh and i certainly wasn't the first in the queue right so it went past a bunch of other journalists before it finally got asked and i really felt hockey missed it and i think the league certainly wasn't going to get out in front of it these people these owners wanted to play games they didn't want a disruption eventually the players had to get involved and i think it wasn't until that moment when that happened because initially I don't think the players were feeling it. I think they said the right things, but I just don't think they were feeling it. So I thought, okay, here's what's worse, the fact that they're not feeling it or the fact that they might be forced to boycott games while not feeling it. But what happened in in that evening, on, on the Thursday evening, the players took a step back and they learned and they began to feel it. And, and I think that was the, the best part in all of this. They stopped, they looked, and they were taking a lot of pressure, but they actually thought to think about it. And when, when you saw that entire group of athletes in the Western bubble get together, you know, we had a chance to talk to a few of them. And, and I talked to some other people off camera and tried to get a sense of what was really there. And they took the time to feel it. It wasn't forced. I was worried it was going to be forced. And and hopefully they're able to take the next step with the Hockey Diversity Alliance and make some meaningful change. And I do have a few follow-up questions off that. But first off, you were, as you mentioned, you were one of the first journalists, or maybe the first. And it's not a, man, a matter of, you know, you getting credit or anything like that. But you were one of the first journalists to ask about Jacob Blake and the players' response to it. And I saw Greg Rushinsky, who I'm a big fan of, gave you some props for it. When... What was it about that incident that decided for you to ask that question? Because as you mentioned, there were a few journalists before then who kind of glanced over it. Well, I mean, I, I've just felt this issue for a long time. And if you followed me on social media, you know, I it bothers me, right? I, I think uh, I'm not talking about Black Lives Matter as a political group because I know there's questions there. But in terms of the feeling of the overall yeah, movement. The general matters, statement. The general statement matters to me, and it and and I don't know if it's because I'm a visible minority or not, but it's mattered to me for a long time. I do think there are some issues in terms of how African Americans or people of color are dealt with in the United States, less so in Canada, but it certainly exists in Canada. It exists in a bigger way in the United States, and it, it's bothered me for a long time. But truly, I might have said it first, but even I was late, because the night before, after the games, Ryan Rashog and I, our Edmonton reporter, were talking about it. And we both kind of felt that we had missed out in not asking the questions the night before while it was happening in the NBA. And um, so the next day I felt I had to ask it, but truly I felt we were late. And I certainly feel the league was late, but eventually the players, if it took them an, an additional 24 hours to wrap their head around it, when they came to the table, they came to the table eventually in a meaningful, wholehearted, legitimate way. And that matters too. 
you you mentioned how most of hockey, most of hockey players in the NHL are white. Ninety five percent is is what you said, and there's no doubt there. Do you think that lack of what I call skin in the game, that there isn't that minority presence in the NHL, is what causes maybe the NHL to be a step behind leagues like the NBA on social justice issues? One hundred percent. I mean, it's the only reason, right? It's a, it's a white league, and. Uh, it, the, the challenge is, is that they don't feel it. They don't have skin in the game, as you mentioned. The concept of white privilege is real. And white privilege isn't a bunch of rich people. It's just a bunch of people who don't feel it. And as a result, don't have to be sympathetic or empathetic. And once when we saw the George Floyd, uh, when it happened the first time and all the protests were happening, I think people of color made it clear that we can't fight this alone anymore. You know, you can't just be non-racist. You have to be anti-racist. And that means you've got to find some skin and get in the fight and, and make sure that this matters to you. Right. So I think that was, that was part of it that, yeah, this is a real part of why the NHL hasn't wrapped their head around it yet. Why it hasn't resonated with them. And that's not their fault. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the players that are in the game, you can't blame them for being white. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can't blame them for not having had the experiences that other people do growing up. So let's not pass judgment. Right. Let's eventually continue to educate because this movement or this moment that caused the NHL to stop games for two days. It forced guys to educate themselves, and that matters. And, and if if that's what it takes, you know, we, we don't need to pass judgment. We just need to try to fix it. And you mentioned earlier as well that this was a player movement, and I think that's something that a lot of people need to emphasize because, as you mentioned, the owners, the people who run the NHL, and even the ML, uh, NBA, sorry, as well, they want to play these games. They're not an organization who wants to stop these games and you know mess up their schedule. They want to play these games. They want to get through these games so they can get that television revenue and move on to the next season. So were you were you shocked? Were you surprised? Are you do you think this is a movement going forward that players can lead? Because the NHL and NBA we're gonna play those games until the players said, Hey, we need to make a stand and we will not be playing these games, figure something out. Yeah, I mean, the players have been leading, right? And that's what's happened to the National Basketball Association. Uh, you know, the players have made these decisions and they've forced the league and its owners to react. And, you know, when when you talk to the players prior to all of this, like from George, George Floyd onwards, I mean, you, you could tell that um, this affects them. And everybody wants to be critical. Oh, they're millionaires. Put your money where your mouth is. And, you know, there, there were players that sat out. There were others that were prepared to. I mean, I, I believe LeBron James, when I when – I, when he says that we were ready to walk away from this, members of the Toronto Raptors are ready to walk away. It has to come from the players. And really, it's best that way because that's when it means the most to fans because that's who they watch. And if you can get player action followed by owner action in terms of using their resources financially and otherwise, um, you know, you have the ability and you have the power to make change. So in the end, as far as hockey is concerned, the league dropped the ball by – really throwing it at the players, right? Because that 24 hours, the players took a lot of heat because, and the league could have stepped in, protected them a little bit, but in the end, it probably worked out the best because, you know, that heat forced them to get educated and eventually the players led the decision. And when you see players from multiple teams getting together in the heat of battle and, and having the discussion and talking to each other and trying to feel what the other person feels and gain a level of empathy, it's, uh, it's awesome to watch. And you mentioned the NHL taking a bunch of heat for their sort of delayed response. Do you feel this situation is a kind of a too little, too late situation? Was the response too late, or is this no, something they can they can build off of? 
you know, it could have been, but it wasn't, right? I mean, they took an extra 24 hours, and when the players stepped in, you can tell if they're forced or if they feel it, if it's real or if it's, you know, if it's just done for optics, and it was real. So as long as it was real and they could come in and force people to listen, then I don't think they're too late. And yeah, there's the stick to sports crowd that's out there. You're not going to change those people. And there are people that want to point to Jacob Blake's rap sheet, mm-hmm. right? I wish at some point in all of this that we could find a few more virtuous people that wind up getting affected. And I hope nobody gets affected. But the next time someone gets affected, I, I would hope that, you know, the other side can't come at you and say, this is what happened to this person because it's not about that person. Jacob Blake was ultimately a symbol for a bigger problem and it just happened to get recorded. I'm hopeful that it doesn't happen again, but if it does, I hope the next symbol is somebody that the other side can't poke holes in because you know, that, that doesn't help either. Yeah. And that's also, that's a popular argument. People like to point out Jacob Blake's rap sheet and his past or what have you, but also the other part is, Oh, what is this going to change? What are a bunch of quote unquote millionaire athletes sitting out? What's that going to change? And, that just seems like a very pessimistic outlook to me. Like, if you can't hope for change in the future, if you can't hope for a better future for everyone, like, what's the point of living? What's the point of going through life, right? Well, Chris Weber said it, right? Um, if, if you heard his comments, he just, you know, said that, you know, it's not going to change tomorrow. We're going to have these problems. Uh, my forefathers went through it. My ancestors went through it 400 years ago, and it's still here. We're still living it, but you can't give in. And that's mm-hmm. really important because, um, you know, it creates awareness, the education matters, and you, you have to continue to fight it because, you know, I hope the next generation can change it. And and maybe they can, maybe they can't, but it'll, it will get closer to it. I hope we get closer to it, right? Um, y- you can't give in because people deserve to be treated the right way. And, you know, there is, there's so many layers to it, right? And, and I know this isn't a political podcast, but there, there's so many layers and athletes can make a difference, right? The biggest color in hockey is not white. It's green. It's what people can afford because that's the way the sport's gone right now. I'm living it. I have an 11 year old who loves hockey and I have to make yep. financial decisions and they're hard to make. And I can only imagine what happens if you're a single income mom and you're trying to make those decisions and you know, you're on income subsidy and you're trying to make those decisions because your kids love it. So if the Hockey Diversity Alliance in this moment could increase resources to take financial barriers away from those kids, it creates more inclusion and diversity in hockey. That helps. Right. And if, if that's their little world and that's what they want to impact first, it matters. It helps. It gives more people a voice. And, you know, if um, you can turn arenas into polling stations, if you can force people to vote, regardless of who you vote for, in order to vote, you have to become educated. Mm-hmm. And some people will just vote because, but eventually more people will become educated before they go through the process of voting. All of those things are empowering. Athletes can absolutely make a difference in those areas. If you can force, if the Milwaukee Bucks and some of the things they put in, if they can get the legislature back, if they can even create one law that changes what happens in policing, it matters. And no one's suggesting to fund the police, but if you can change hiring standards, education and training standards for police, you know, if you can make things more transparent, small things like that, it all matters, right? This is going to take a lot of people to chip away at the problem and athletes should, should be a part of that. They've got a platform. They should use it. Now the hockey diversity Alliance was initially one of the organizations that tweeted out, we want to take time off from these games to 
highlight social justice issues. Has there been any contact with Hockey Diversity Alliance and maybe some of the owners to take concrete steps? Because you mentioned, I think, one of the big reasons that hockey has a diversity problem is the cost of playing organized hockey. It's not, and it's not just equipment. It's power skating. It's skills coaches. It's the whole you know industry of churning out hockey players. Yeah, I mean, there has been conversation. And when this thing started right after George Floyd, they, uh, the Hockey Diversity Alliance put together a pledge, which they wanted NHL as a, as a league and the owners to sign off on and make some commitments. And they hadn't signed off on it yet. And it's not until the last couple of weeks that there's actually been some movement and more productive dialogue. The, the league's kind of just let it sit there. And again, a moment like this can force the league to look at themselves in the mirror and take some tangible steps. And I hope these players, and I've had a chance to talk to them in the last few days, uh, I hope they keep the pressure on, right? Because it matters. What they're doing is a positive thing. And um, they need to push these owners in the right direction. They need to make it uncomfortable for them. They need to pressure businesses. And I hope other people that aren't of color, members of that diversity alliance, because it's nine hockey players. And yeah, they're going to get some legal help and their agents are going to help them and all that is there, but they need more white players to get involved and force the NHL to, to look in that direction. And, and hopefully people like Bo Horvat and Brad Marchand, who Canuck fans hate and others, you know, who, who said really positive things and appear to have been affected. I, I hope they stay involved in the fight and make sure that it's more than just those nine players, make sure it's other players that can pull push uh, the NHL and its owners into doing the right thing. Now, this is a Canucks podcast, so I do have to ask this question. What was the Vancouver Canucks role in postponing these games on Thursday and Friday? You know, they had a meaningful role, but I, truthfully, I, I think it, it wasn't just them. You know, I, you, you heard from Ryan Reeves and he talked about how he was feeling it the night before and was seriously considering sitting out the game. And then, you know, members from other teams in the East and the Canucks reached out and, and that certainly gave him a lot of relief. And uh, people like Tanner Pearson, people like Bo Horvat, JT Miller and others, you know, they got together. They, they have a leadership council. They, they talked a lot about it. They thought a lot about it. And, um, I, you know, I want to say they were a driving force, but they weren't the only ones, right? I mean, you've got to give credit to Vegas. You've got to give credit to uh, to Boston and Tampa, or sorry, to Philadelphia and Tampa in the East and a number of their players that took the bull by the horns early, that reached out to members of the Hockey Diversity Alliance to get their take, to organize a, a call in the bubbles and things like that. So uh, the Canucks definitely played um, an important role, but they weren't the only role. And I, and I, I think they're uncomfortable with the thought that they led this because they didn't. Um, they led themselves, which was important. No one had to convince them. They went out and took some initiative, but their message was being felt by other people at the same time. Now you're in the bubble, sorry, you're adjacent to the bubble. Uh, do you get a sense that the players get this, that there will be more action going forward? And then this isn't just them saying, well, the NBA does this. We're going to make us, we're going to, they're making us look bad. We have to do something. Or is there going to be more concrete steps going forward? Because I think that's the big concern from a lot of hockey fans is they don't want this to be just, you know, them standing on a pe on a podium and saying the right things. They, they want action. Yeah, well, they do. And it's hard for me to say, Nick, just I, I want to believe because you get into that moment yeah. and you see what everybody's saying and you... You, you hear it and you feel it and you believe that in those moments, everybody's intentions are pure. And I think they were, but we're about to find out right when this ends, uh, whenever the Canucks series ends, what do they do next? First, they're going to want to go back to their families and rightly so and see their kids and, and, you know, reset their lives. But at some point, I, I hope that a couple of these guys 
stay in regular contact and try to see what they can do. Right. And, and I hope that happens league wide. Right. So we're about to find out. And truthfully, I, I hope the diversity Alliance holds them accountable and says, Hey guys, you said you wanted to do this. Let's do it. I don't think it would take much to get them back involved, but it is human nature. Sometimes you just go back and you go into your own bubble and you, you don't want to mm-hmm. step out of that for a while. And hopefully uh, we, we can strike while the iron is hot as a society and as a league. Okay. Just a couple of quick hockey questions. Is there any chance the Vancouver Canucks can win this series or extend this series heading into the next game? Because last night, they were up 3-2. They lost, ended up losing that game in the third period. To me, that felt like a last stand. That felt like a team that gave it everything they could to try and tie this series up. And we've seen in the bubble that it's very hard when you're down 3-1 to crawl back and win a series. Because eventually, you're thinking, out. I think it's a psychology thing, you're thinking, man, just one more game and I can get out of here. I can go back to my family, right? Yeah, it's fair. And do I think they're going to win this series? I don't. Uh, And that's not a shot. I just think Vegas is better, right? And I think so much has to go right. You know, Canucks played well, had a 3-2 lead going into game five, into the third period, and then all of a sudden three goals in five minutes. And when you're as talented as Vegas is, you don't have to be perfect because you can be perfect in moments and those moments can make up for any mistakes you made previously. The Canucks have to be perfect. And, uh, you know, they, they weren't for small stretches of game four and, and that cost them. So I don't think they're going to win this series. But I will tell you this, game five matters because motivation, if they win it, motivation won't be an issue in game six because there'll be a game away. There'll be a win away from a game seven. Anything can happen type of scenario. And they'll have a little bit of momentum coming off a game five win. Game five matters. Even if they lose game six and seven, I, I want to see how this team stands up in a in their first elimination opportunity. And I want to see just how much commitment they have to one another and how hard they're willing to fight and not give in and let it go. And I do think it matters. Even if they lost game six, just to find a way to extend it and to find a way because so much of this is a learning experience. I know the club doesn't want to admit it. They'll admit it after the fact. But in the moment, they don't want to admit it and they shouldn't. But as somebody who's watched these games for so many years and and why it was important as an organization to play meaningful games at this time of year, this is a learning moment. Game five is a learning moment where they've got to show some character and they've got to show some jam. And I do believe they will. Because I think you're going to get the best of Jacob Markstrom. Elias Pettersson impresses me more and more every time I watch him play. His commitment level, his com- competitiveness level, amazing to watch. JT Miller is always going to drag this team back into the fight. So I don't think they're going to give in. And, you know, I, I hope we see the best from the Canucks. Because if this is the one game as a Canuck fan you want to be the most proud of, even if they lose, if they win this game, I really, really believe it matters. And I think the schedule for the rest of these games is going to be a big factor against the Vancouver Canucks and not saying that the players shouldn't have done these protests and for the schedule because that's what happened with this schedule. Now, they have another back-to-back game six and seven. And that obviously plays into the hands of Vegas, right? Because they can go with Leonard or Fleury. And the Canucks, they're, they're riding Jacob Markstrom until he's dust. Like, they're not, they're, not putting, they're not putting Thatcher Demko in for game six or seven if they get to that point. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to ride with Markstrom at that point because, like you say, you can't you can't throw Demko into a Game 7. And, and I don't blame Travis Green for not throwing him in last night either. I get why he went with Markstrom. So, And, and with the schedule, there was going to be a back-to-back somewhere along the way here anyway for them in this series, uh, regardless of whether or not they took the break. So I, I'm not willing to 
concede that as much just because they did get the extra two days and they didn't have as long of a turnaround between series as Vegas did. So I think that should have helped them a little bit, um, you know, especially going into game three, let alone four. So yeah, the schedule doesn't help them, but right now it's, it's going to be the, the epitome of game at a time, stay in the moment, focus on game five, and then, you know, let the chips fall where they may after that. Mm -hmm. So just a couple more questions. I know you got to get going here. So just a couple more questions. Uh, Kyle Bowen last night, he has a question for you. When he, when I mentioned you were going to be on the podcast, he was very excited and I'm sure you get this question a lot. What, what do you have in terms of career advice for someone starting off in this industry and not just general advice, maybe developing relationships and tips like that? Like what advice would you have for someone starting off, starting off, sorry, in sports media? Well, um, first of all, getting into sports media is so different when, than when I did it, you know, 25 years ago, 25 plus years ago now, because, you know, generally the path, I went to Simon Fraser University, but generally the path is you go to a place like BCIT uh, or Ryerson, if you're in the East, you wind up, you know, doing a co-op at the end of it. And then you wind up getting placed either through the co-op or someplace, you know, in the hinterland. And then eventually you, you kind of make your way back to a big city if you do a good job. And it's not really like that because podcasts and, and different forms of media really allow people to get their own training without having to follow that path. So, um, you know, I still do believe there's value to education and going to some sort of broadcast school and, and learning, uh, you know, whether it's how to interview, how to write, uh, you know, all those types of things. I do think there's still value to that. So I would I would recommend that. I think there's good schools out there like BCIT and, and others. I also think networking is the single biggest thing you can do mm -hmm. because it is really an industry about relationships and the more people you know, um, the, the better off you're going to be going forward because I, I can think of so many people who, who I know that have climbed up that just networked and volunteered and made themselves completely indispensable to people around them. And then the third thing is learn as many ends of the industry as you can, because it's so rare to just find a TV guy, even us at TSN, you know, we, uh, good friends of mine, Mark Masters and, and Matthew Shinetti were print reporters. They eventually came on the TV side and because they had the ability to be content providers. And so it's not just one platform. So if you can write, if you can report, if you can be on camera, if you can interview, if you can learn the technology side of it, the more you can offer, uh, the more valuable you're going to be. So learn every end of it. And, and I think that it's probably easier for young people today to do that because there's just so much more in the way of, even when you're in high school, you, you learn how to edit. People just learn how to do it on their phones and you can do so much with, with a lot less. Whereas uh, people specialize so much more when, when I got into it, right? I just think that young people today are a little more equipped to uh, embrace all ends of the technology and take advantage of it. So, you know, learn as many ends of the industry as you can, network as much as you can, and education is still valuable. All right, Kyle, if you're listening to this, uh, start networking for the both of us because I think we're going to need it in the future. One more question. This is how I usually end the our interviews on this podcast. I've got this, the book of questions right here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to flip to a random page and ask you a random question. And some of these questions are fairly deep. I remember asking, I flipped to a question with Blake Price about if he accidentally took one of a, a accidentally took a child from the hospital, would he have to, if he didn't realize if it was bad, if it wasn't his, would he have to give it back? So it does some serious questions. Just giving you right there. Okay. This is a, right. a this is a fairly morbid one, but uh, I think, I think this is, this might have some good content. What would your funeral be like if you died tomorrow? Who would want to speak and what would they say about you if they were being honest? Wow, that's a great yeah. question. 
Um, you know, I would, I would hope like everybody else that my funeral was, was full. Uh, I hope it was in a post COVID era. Yes. Um, you know, I, look, a, a big part of my life has been coaching uh, people. So I, I hope that I've impacted a lot of people and I, I hope they would want to come. And um, who would speak? Boy, that's a great question. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who would speak. I mean, I would imagine some people that I've coached and been around that, uh, that have been impacted would want to come and speak potentially people that have been involved, um, you know, in sports, uh, maybe Wally Buono, who I've had a great relationship with over the years. I'd hope my son spoke. I would hope, um, I don't know. It's a good question. Uh, I'll have to start planning it when we get off this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, you know, I've been to funerals of friends that were longtime coaches and builders in sport, and they've had, uh, you know, big celebrations of those communities. And I would hope that mine looks like that and feels like that. And I, I hope people are laughing more than anything else. I hope it, this doesn't happen soon, but I would gladly speak at your funeral, Farhan. Oh, I would gla- gladly do that for you. No, no don't. Yeah, awesome. Uh, yeah, Farhan, thank you so much for appearing on Power of the Towel. And uh, hopefully we can have you on uh, again sometime. This was a lot of fun. I'd look forward to it. Thanks. All right, awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. I, I really do appreciate it. No problem, my man. Thank you very much to Farhan Lalji of TSN for hopping on the podcast, taking time out of his day from not the bubble, adjacent to the bubble for making his appearance, his debut appearance on Power of the Towel. Much appreciated. Hopefully, we can have him on again soon. I think it was an important conversation to have. And one of the reasons I wanted to have him on the podcast this week, because again, he's done some great reporting on the social justice social justice, sorry, initiatives the NHL players have taken on over the past few days. Okay, so we talked about it at nauseum. Okay, so we talked about it, of course, with our interview with Farhan. Again, it's the reason I wanted to have him on. Maybe a bit less hockey talk than our listeners are used to, but whatever, I don't care. It's my podcast. I can do what I want. But... I want to end this thing off with my thoughts on the whole situation with Jacob Blake and the players' protest in the NHL because that's what it is. It is a players' protest. I, I don't like it when I see online the NHL decide. This was not an NHL decision. This was an NHL player's decision. If it was up to the NHL, we've seen Wednesday night. What the decision, or Thursday night, sorry. Man, I'm, I'm losing track of time here. We've, saw, we've seen what the NHL's response would be if the players had not set up. It's have a little moment of silence, play the games, and let's move on. And okay, I can see where they're coming from. I definitely do not agree with it, but they're an organization that needs to make money. They desperately need to make money with COVID. They need to finish the season somehow, some way. And they don't want to throw off the schedule. But if you want to call a protest you want to call this a strike you can maybe argue it was too late but hey i'm glad the nhl players decide to take a stand we all know the reputation of hockey players they're white they're privileged they don't really understand or care to understand these social broader social issues but good on them for taking a stand now there's a lot of people online who say oh they're millionaire athletes they're privileged look these players have a lot on the line 
And you've seen with the NBA to a greater degree what would have happened if they canceled their season. They would have to forfeit money. They, salaries would be reduced. It would be a big financial commitment, big financial loss to have the season canceled at that point. So they have a lot on the line. I know they're millionaire athletes, and that's a maybe a perception for some, but they have a lot on the line. And we mentioned this in this interview with Farhan. There's also the crowd who say, oh, it's not going to affect anything. Why? What's the point of this? They're just going to play in a few days. Well, again, it's about incremental steps. If you don't think anything is ever going to improve, why, why live? Why experience life? just seems like a very pessimistic outlook on this whole situation if you don't think anything can change for the better in the future. It's all about incremental progress, folks. Incremental progress. And again, that night when the NHL played those games and the NBA was sitting out, uh, it felt gross watching those games. I, I think Kyle Bowen said it best. It felt gross to be a hockey fan. It felt didn't feel right watching these games. There's bigger issues on on the table in society. And Thomas Rance had a great tweet. It's like after I believe he was covering the Colorado Avalanche Dallas Stars game, and he pretty much tweeted out at the end of the first period. Okay, first intermission, the score is who cares? The who cares? Like that that was that was my feeling as well. Like, who cares about this game? We have broader social issues. Why aren't we, why are we trying to play through and pretend like nothing happened? And I get they did that little seven-second moment of remembrance or whatever. Come on. That's such a cop-out. That was such a cop-out. And again, this is not a political podcast. But I'm glad the NHL players finally took a step forward, took a step to adjust racial injustice and inequalities in their sport because it's needed. It can't just be the hockey diversity lines because, again, there's only, only nine, ten of them. has to come from the majority white players in the NHL. That's who has, has to lead this. And I'm interested to see what their next steps are. Hopefully there's some concrete steps taken forward. I see, I'm, I'm a big basketball fan. I see in the NBA bubble they have little signs that say vote. All the NHL, all the NBA stadiums, sorry, are going to open up as polling spots in the U.S. election in November, which of course means that probably half of the NBA, NHL arenas are going to be open, but not not every NHL city has, a, has an NBA team. Not They don't all play in the same place. So maybe that's a step for our, uh, for our U.S. for our U.S. franchises in the NHL. That's one easy step I can think of. I'm not going to speak on their behalf, but that's one easy thing I think they can do. Again, I hope that there is more concrete steps taken forward. And I think it's good on hockey players for finally taking the step in the right direction. But of course, there's, as far as I mentioned, there's going to be another incident like this. There's going to be another one of these horrific killings on camera, what will be your response that time? And it's sad that we live in a world where, and in a time and place where we can pretty much bank 
on another black man or woman being killed on camera and there's going to be another one of these. But I think if this happens again during the bubble, the NHL players will be a lot more prepared and a lot more nuanced in their response. Anyways, that is this week's episode of Power of the Towel for the Next Misconduct Network. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Once again, I'm your host, Nick Bondi. Make sure to follow me on Twitter, at Nick Bondi. And hey, you know what? Follow me on Instagram as well. I'm trying to get a few more Instagram followers as well, at nbondi. Subscribe to the Next Misconduct Network wherever you get podcasts. You got this show, Power of the Towel. Sip it on a 40, and when you're listening to this, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, there will be an episode after Game 5 tonight. And as long as the Canucks are playing playoff games, silky and filthy, puck-talking bullshit with Trevor Beggs and Kyle Bowen. And of course, the quickie hosted by Trevor Beggs. I will be on every episode of Sip it on a 40 with Kyle Bowen. we got some big things planned for the Next Misconduct Network and the website. I'm excited to to get going. And I hope you're excited to listen to the great content and read the great content that we have planned for everyone on the Next Misconduct Network. Once again, <clears throat> once again, I'm your host, Nick Bondi. Thank you for listening.